Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus. And together, we form the Minimalists. Welcome to episode number 50. Today, we're going to talk about impulses. We were originally going to title this episode Addiction, but we didn't want people to confuse that with, with drug and alcohol addiction. I already talked about... Uh, alcohol addiction during our holiday podcast, which seems like the appropriate time. So instead, today we're going to talk about impulses, which you could also think of as maybe like addiction to shopping or addiction to social media and entertainment. Collecting things. Yeah, addiction to stuff or possessions or maybe even addiction to to people or the circumstances that we're in uh, in terms of our job. And, and so we're going to talk about impulses today, our impulse to act on those addictions. I think we can go ahead and dive right in, Ryan. We have our first voicemail. This one is from Alyssa in Los Angeles. Wish I was in L.A. right now. It's negative two degrees. In Missoula, Montana. Yeah. yeah. Alyssa, what do you got to say over there in Los Angeles? My question is, I find myself not only compulsively purchasing things, but then feeling a lot of um, buyer's remorse and guilt afterwards, which then leads to me returning the items. And then once I'm in the store making the return, I'm so compelled to buy new stuff while I'm there. It just ends up being an exchange. So I'm there to return something. I end up buying something. It becomes an exchange. Then the cycle just repeats itself over and over. So I don't know if that means that along the minimalism scale and more advanced (laughs) because I do feel guilty for consuming more or that I'm worse off than others because I keep going back and I can't really shake the habit of buying and returning, et cetera. Alyssa. I, I got good news for you. Like you're not too, you know, far off from a lot of people there. So don't don't feel don't feel like there's no hope at all. It's it seems like you're just caught in a cycle. Um, golly, for me, Josh, like for me not to buy stuff, mm-hmm. uh, I avoid the stores. I avoid a lot of advertisements. Mm-hmm. Um, all the triggers, yeah, that I that I have uh, uh, that, that makes me want to buy stuff and gives me that impulse. I will avoid. So that would be my first piece of advice to Alyssa. Uh, avoid the store. If you've got an item that you need to return right now, give it to a friend to mm-hmm. return. Find someone to to help you out. Um, yeah, I, I, that's that's kind of step number one. Avoid the triggers. Yeah, you know, I, I think what you're asking for there is is help, Ryan. And, and if you're going to have someone else re- return the the merchandise for you, I think that's a great way to sort of step up and say, I have a problem, without saying, Look at me, I have this huge problem. We all we all have a problem. It's about consumption. That that, that is our problem. Uh, and, and what we don't want to turn 
this into is, is compulsory consumption. That, that's where you are right now, where you feel like because you're there at the store, you have to buy something. Or compulsive consumption, meaning you're just buying on impulse, right? Because you're there at the store and, and that is the right thing for you to do in the moment. I would ask yourself a few questions here, Alyssa. Uh, what are you trying to accomplish w- with this shopping? What, what is this supposed to do for you? I know there's that sort of fleeting moment of joy when you reach the cash register, you buy the thing and you leave the store with it. And you think it's going to fill some void, but I know that most of the time, those things don't fill any real void in our lives unless they are real tools that are going to serve a purpose in your life. So a few questions I would ask myself before I purchase something is, can I afford this? Now, what do I mean by it? By can I afford it, right? Because yes, you may be able to afford the price on the price tag, but there are all these hidden costs as well. There's the cost of storing the thing, the time it takes to shop for the thing. Of course, there's a time that it takes to maintain the thing, take care of the thing, wash the thing, clean the thing, dust off the thing, put oil in the thing, change or put gas in the thing, whatever you're going to do to maintain the thing. But then also there's the cost of your time associated with making the money. It costs a lot of time for you to make the money to buy the things that that you're purchasing right now. So uh, if you have to go to a job every day, you're working for that money that's going to buy you these things. So if you're going to spend 30 bucks on a a pair of uh, pants or a t-shirt or whatever, ask yourself, "Is is this shirt worth $30 of my freedom? And if it is, then so be it. Uh, I I found the way for me to be more deliberate with with my purchases is I will postpone any purchase that is a big purchase for at least 30 days. So for me, that's over $250. I'll postpone it for 30 days. And you may want to do the, the same thing with a smaller amount. So if it's over 20 bucks, maybe try to postpone it for 30 days. What you're, what you're trying to do is what Ryan said. You want to break a cycle here. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're in that cycle, the only thing that you can do here is try to change your state. And there are a few ways to change your state. One is you, you need to change your physiology. Now, now, you're going into the store. That's part of your physiology. That puts you in a different kind of state. It puts you in this shopper's mentality. And to get out of that shopper's mentality, you want to get out of the store. And the same goes for internet shopping as well. Uh, Once you you pull up the browser and you're at your favorite site like Pinterest and it takes you somewhere else, that puts you in that shopper's mentality. So you need to get out of that mentality because you want to get out of the the shopper's state. And and in order to do that, the other things I'm going to talk about are language and focus. You want to change your language around uh, around the idea of shopping. Maybe you're not just shopping. Maybe what you're doing is going to the store to get into debt. Now, what if you were to say that? If someone said, well, what are you going to go do today? Well, I'm going to go get farther into debt. I'm going to go spend my hard-earned money on items I don't need. Can you imagine you change your language to say something like that? People are going to look, look at you like you're crazy instead of I'm going to the mall. And so if you change that language, it will help you ultimately change what you're focused on. And, and instead of focusing on shopping, you want to find something that is a, a new empowering habit. Now, I don't know what that is for you, but for me, it's usually something that, that is, is creative-based as opposed to consumption-based. So if I create more, I know that I'm consuming less stuff. And so I'm going to replace that habit, that habit of shopping, with something else. It could be writing or, or blogging or what's some new experience, Alyssa, that you can bring into your life that is going to replace that, that old habit of shopping. 
Uh, Ryan, a couple of other practical tips that I did when I was getting out of debt. So, so you and I spent a long time trying to get out of debt after we spent a long time trying hard to get into debt, <laughs> uh, asking for more and more credit cards. Uh, we, you know, we each had you know, a handful of credit cards in our wallet. I think I had 14 at one point in time, oh, wow. you know, so uh, it, those cards enabled me to, to go shopping. Right. And I knew that I was trying to pay off debt. By the way, if you want to see our, our get out of d- uh, debt plan, you just go to the minimalists.com slash freedom. That's exactly how Ryan and I got out of debt step by step. We call it five difficult steps to getting out of debt. And it was difficult, but it was well worth it. But but one of the things I did was I started using cash instead of using those credit cards. I cut up those credit cards, canceled the accounts, and started using cash for all of my purchases. And I found that it was much more difficult to let go of that wad of money if I was buying a thing. It makes the transaction much more real. It really does, man. And, and, and the, the credit card makes it hypothetical almost. Right. Because you, you are putting that piece of plastic down, it's funny, I was at, so uh, New Year's Eve was just a, a few days ago from when we were recording this, and I was at this um, uh, New Year's Eve party, it was a kid's party, so it was really like, it was like 6 o'clock, I was still in bed by 9.15. Was Ella the headliner? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we did get her a, a guitar for uh, for Christmas, so a bit of a tangent here. We got we got her a, a guitar she's been playing, I said, do you want me to teach you how to play it? She goes, no, I already know how to play. She never played a guitar in her life. Uh, but she's been giving us shows. Anyway, yeah, we were at this uh, this this New Year's Eve party with, with a bunch of kids, and there was this little girl there who was maybe two years old, and there's this little fake cash register. You know, the kids are learning about money. It's full of full of money. And then there was also a credit card in that cash register, and she pulled it out and just held it up to me to, to show me that there, she was holding this credit card. And I said, what's that? And she looked at me, and she goes, fake money. Oh, wow. And I'm like, that is perfect. That's exactly what a credit card is. <laughs> like, man, you are a genius little girl. <laughs> it, seriously, it, that it, it, it's it's absolutely what it is. It's fake money, and and you don't uh, tie the same emotions to it because you're not you don't feel like you're letting go of something. But when you're handing over cash, you feel like you're letting go of little increments of your freedom every time that you're doing that. So using cash uh, can certainly help. Postponing any purchase for at least a day. So any purchase at all. If it's over twenty bucks, maybe wait a week. If it's over a hundred dollars, wait. 30 days that will help you curb the 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 behavior and and not just break your old pattern but you want to form a new pattern that is is going to enable you to live a more meaningful life and i think think, uh, i I think that waiting period man helps me to uh avoid lying to myself Mm. because in the moment like you there's always a good excuse right like there's always a good excuse to upgrade your phone or to upgrade you know the latest gadget whatever it may be especially if you've got the money sitting there in the bank uh, but putting it off for a week, right? Um, you know, you got to lie to yourself every single day for seven days straight, mm. which is not easy to do for me, at least. And and I, I know everyone out there; they've got a certain trigger or or gut feeling that happens when they're starting to lie to themselves. And uh-huh. and I think that 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 break, that week or that month, helps me to yeah avoid avoid lying to myself to be more honest with yourself. Yeah. So, so what I talked about for, before reframing this with with new language, right? So instead of lying lying to yourself and, and trying to justify it. So that's another way people, well, I need to justify this purchase. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll do some really amazing acrobatics to justify purchases that we don't need. It's 30% off. Right. I'd be stupid not to get it. Right. But of course, it's 100% off if you don't buy it at all. Right. And, and so uh, what I found is that if you, if you change that language, so instead of going shopping, I'm going to go waste money that I can't afford on things that I don't need. And by the way, it's to impress people that I don't really care about impressing anyway. 
if you use that radical honesty with yourself first, you're going to be able to say, well, I can't really justify this purchase, and that will help you. So yes, I agree with what Ryan said. Stay away from the malls, but move to some other experience to replace that experience with something else. And the last thing I'm going to ask Alyssa here is, what are your values? If you identify what your values are, if you don't know, by the way, you can try to uncover your values. But my guess is that shopping does not augment your values in any way. It doesn't help you achieve your values. It doesn't uh, move you down a path toward your values. In fact, quite often, uh, shopping is just a barrier in that path. It's going to get in the way of, uh, of, uh, of a more meaningful life. And so Ryan and I wrote a book um, wow, back in 2011, and a new version came out last, well, uh, 20, in 2015. Uh, it's called Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. And it talks about the five values that we uncovered in our own lives, from health and relationships to creativity and passion and, and growth and contribution. And Alyssa, I'd love to send you a copy of that. Hopefully, it'll help you identify what, what your values are. And one of the first ways to do that is to get the excess out of the way so you can figure out and then focus on what's important. Sean, if you could send her either an ebook or, or a print version of that, I'd appreciate it. Or if you have any download codes left uh, on Audible, the audiobook version of that just came out as well. Our next question is from Barry in Mozambique. I have a bit of a problem with binge watching on uh, YouTube and Netflix and so on. Uh, I find that it's a, a huge waste of my time and it makes me really unproductive and antisocial and um, unfulfilled. And I feel like it's uh, I'm addicted, I would say. And I was just wondering what um, a minimalist perspective would be on this issue. So, man, we, we've, got, we've got binge watching. We've got wasting of time. We have unproductive and antisocial. We have addicted to technology and to these behaviors. Ryan, it sounds to me like he has embraced this radical honesty with himself. And, yes. And first thing I like to do is just say congratulations. You have identified the problem and you've used the right language around it. And you, now you're focusing on how do I get out of that? And the first thing I wanted to start with is answering your question with a, a Seth Godin essay. He wrote something very short called When Your Phone Uses You. And it goes a little something like this. Your smartphone has two jobs. On one hand, it was hired by you to accomplish certain tasks. In the grand scheme of things, it's a screaming bargain and a miracle. But most of the time, your phone works for corporations, assorted acquaintances, and large social networks. They've hired it to put you to work for them. You're not the customer. You're the product. Your attention and your anxiety is getting sold, and it's cheap. When your phone grabs your attention, when it makes you feel inadequate, when it pushes you to catch up, to consume, and to fret, it's not working for you, is it? On demand doesn't mean you do things when the device demands. Ryan, what, what, I, what I'd say here is it's not just about the phone either, right? It's, right? it's the TV, it's the computer, it's the social network. Anything that is telling you what to do. Right. That they, they are demanding your time and attention. And I think quite often what, what you're saying here, uh, Barry, is you aren't getting enough value from these things. And I have the same exact problem Barry does. Uh, YouTube is my crack. And I get so addicted to it. And I think there are some, some experiments you may want to try out, Barry, that will help you out throughout this process. So for me, 
I, I went a month without home internet service. This was way back in 2011, and I wrote about that. And, uh, man, it was the most productive month of my life. And so I didn't go back for a, a very long time, for about five years. And, and what I'm going to encourage you to do is get rid of your home internet service for a little while uh, if you have the opportunity to do so. Now, you may say, well, I can't possibly do that. Okay, well, there are some apps out there that will allow you to, like the app Freedom, that, that, will, that will shut down your Wi-Fi service for a certain period of time to allow you to be productive. And then another thing that I will do is I'll schedule out my binge-watching time so that I can feel a little bit better about it and schedule it out days in advance. In fact, I did this last night. I had a, a YouTube hour uh, set up for myself. And man, I probably wasn't on there for more than 45 minutes just because at that point I, I felt like, okay, I've got enough of this. What right? did you watch? A bunch of Canadian rap battles? Yeah, I mean, I'm really into to, uh, uh, Canadian rap battles as as some of you know from past episodes. <laughs> but, um, you know, you know I, I, found, I, I found that I was in this place where it was just this twitch. It was a default setting for me. I'd go toward uh, Facebook or YouTube or, or Instagram or whatever. In order to reprogram the, the Twitch, I had to temporarily deprive myself of that thing. And I found this once again, Ryan, uh, you, as most of you heard uh, a few episodes back, I decided to go without any social media on my phone to completely dumb down my smartphone uh, from Thanksgiving until Christmas. And I removed uh, Twitter and, and uh, Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and all these other icons for roughly a month, right? And what I learned through that process, and I brought it back on, and, which has been great because we've had, uh, I, I've really enjoyed the interactions I've had with people on, online recently. You, we have so, we've had so many new Twitter and Facebook and and Instagram people interacting with us. And that's been great. But I also learned that it's easy for me to fall back into that bad habit. I didn't take enough time to to break the pattern. And so after January, once uh, all, all the fuss dies down from from the documentary being on Netflix now, I, um, I'm going to once again remove that. And I found for me the sweet spot when I remove something from my life is often four months. Sometimes it can be shorter than that, but for whatever reason, for me to re really reprogram myself, removing something from my life for four months allows me to, to reprogram that, that urge to constantly check it. I've also done some things like put in the place of Twitter or Instagram. I, I've put new icons like the Kindle icon uh, or there's a meditation app. So there are different things. If I twitch for one icon, I'm actually going to start reading a book instead of you know, scrolling through my my tweets on, on, on Twitter. And so, I mean, I, I think that those are good places to start to temporarily deprive yourself, but also keep in mind that minimalism isn't about deprivation. It's about bringing those things back into your life and using them in a more deliberate way. Because Ryan and I, we don't want to come off as anti-social media. We don't want to come off as uh, Luddites. And, and we certainly don't want to say you shouldn't use technology. We want you to be able to embrace technology and do so in a way that you get something from it, but also in a way that you're able to contribute to the greater good, to use it as a, a means or a mechanism for creation and intentional, more deliberate consumption. Yeah, I don't think I have anything to add to that, Josh. I think it just goes back to what you said in that first uh, response to Alyssa of changing your state. Barry, mm -hmm. if you can change your state, and uh, do it in a way that really disrupts those neural pathways to kind of help create different habits. Um, yeah, I think, I think you can avoid that YouTube black hole. Yeah, and then I, I, mean, I would go even a step farther than Ryan is one, once he's avoiding that, that YouTube black hole is 
ask yourself what excites you because you're clearly not excited by this stuff. These are pacifiers. And the good news is you've identified your pacifiers. Most of us, we go through life every day not identifying the things that are in the way. We're not identifying our pacifiers. We just go toward it because it is our default setting. But for you, you've said, I'm feeling drained by these things. I'm, I'm falling down this YouTube black hole, and it feels good at first, but I feel disgusting you know, an hour later after I'm done drooling on myself uh, after watching you know, or several hours of, of YouTube clips and keep clicking the next one, next one, next one. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I didn't do anything productive. I don't feel good about this. It certainly doesn't excite me. So the first thing you want to do is ask yourself, what excites me? And what I mean by that is, what are you really excited to get out of bed in the morning and do? For me, that's writing. It may not be the same for everyone. Also, my health is something that, that really excites me now because I'm, I'm making some significant progress on my health. I'm feeling much better than I was a year ago and feeling better than I was even a month ago. And so I've made some significant strides in that right direction. Now, what I'll tell you is I'm not necessarily excited by the action itself. I'm not excited by, by putting the pen to paper and writing. And I'm not excited about doing hours and hours of physical therapy necessarily. What I'm excited about is the end result. And, and so there, there's an old uh, apothem that writers don't enjoy writing. They enjoy having written. And I think, that, I think that's true most of the time. There are, there are times where I feel absolutely manic, feel great from writing. But there are also many times where I just have to, to put in the work. I have to drudge through the drudgery. But I really am glad that I did because I, I have a, a, an end result. I have some sort of product at the end of the day. That, the, uh, not necessarily a product to sell, but I have a, 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 I've produced something of value to me as opposed to getting, getting lost down that path of email and social media and television and everything else. And then, yes, of course, you can schedule some binging so that you don't have to deprive yourself in perpetuity, but it's nice to get rid of it temporarily and move forward with less of that in your life. Uh, Barry, I'd love to send you a copy of our book, Essential. It's an essay collection. Uh, It's 150 essays about intentional living, everything from minimalism and stuff to success and mindfulness and health and everything in between. But there's also a chapter on priorities in that book. And I think you'll find the most value from that chapter, Barry, because really what we're talking about here is redefining your priorities. I think if you were to open up your schedule for me, and you were to show me your schedule, and then also show me your expenses, your daily, weekly, monthly expenses. Show me your schedule and your expenses. I can show you what your priorities are. You'll be looking at what your priorities are. And what we, what we need to do now is reprioritize the things that aren't bringing you happiness, joy, contentment, meaning with something that will. And so I hope you enjoy a copy of that book. Whether we'll send you the audiobook version of that, or we can just send them the book. Uh, it's, uh, it's up to you. Uh, Sean will reach out to you for that. Our next question is from Erica in Indianapolis. I'm six and a half years into small business ownership. It was just me. I have no employees. Um, my husband does work with me full time there. And I definitely, um, that passion fading and getting into the drudgery every day has, has long since set in. And I do struggle a lot of the time. Um, but ultimately I do think this aligns with my, my principles and what I believe in. And so this is a career that I continue to pursue and will in the future. My question for you is, 
I am an entrepreneur selling retail, um, selling things to other people. Um, and I struggle with other people's consumerism. And um, as a small business owner working behind the cash register, I hear people talk a lot about, um, especially as they're purchasing things for their hobby, um, this, oh, I have too much yarn. Oh, I have, I have a huge stash already. If you saw how much yarn I had at home, I could open my own store. I shouldn't be buying this. Um, I'll never live long enough to knit all the yarn I already have. And yet they put their yarn on the counter and they buy it. Um, so my, my question is, how do I deal with other people's uh, consumerism? In some ways, I'm glad that they're buying it. This helps me keep my lights on and, and take care of my my family and pay my mortgage. Um, but in other ways, I'm not sure that part lines up with my values. Well, first off, congratulations on on changing paths six years ago. Yeah, starting, that is awesome. Yeah, starting your own business, yeah. being becoming an entrepreneur. Bravo. That that takes a, a lot of. Uh, of guts to quit something, uh, a path that you feel a certain amount of certainty on so that you can make room for something else in your life. And then committing to that new path, I think, is pretty admirable too, man. Cause, to- yeah, totally agree. Yeah. I mean, I, but, but I also say that I think she's confusing excitement for passion, perhaps. Mm. And I think it, it's a very common thing. I've done it. I did it most of my 20s, actually. Uh, quite often, we get really excited about an idea or a business venture or whatever. And in fact, I would say, Erica, you were really excited for two years, which is unheard of. And I think that's great because what you said is you think for the most part, this business aligns with with your principles. I I would just call those your values. And and, uh, because this business aligned with with your principles and it was a new direction, you were really excited for a couple of years. But then, of course, you hit some sort of speed bumps some roadblocks. You realize that running a business isn't all ponies and rainbows. You have uh, your own payroll and taxes, and you have you know, uh, keeping the lights on. There are all of these the, these factors in running a business that are certainly not glamorous. They're administrative tasks that are relatively boring. It's tedium. It's drudge work. But that's where the real passion comes from. It's being willing to put in the work to drudge through the drudgery, but it also has to completely align with your values. And I think in this case, that's where this discontent is for you. You you asked, first off, you, you said, Erica, that you're struggling with selling products uh, because of, of consumerism and other people's consumerism. And I think Ryan and I are, are, are highly cognizant of that. You know, being the minimalist, you have to be extra careful uh, about what you create, what you put out there in the world, what you offer to people to buy. You know? But we're also not allergic to money. And, and so Ryan and I have written three books that, that we've published, and we, we put out a documentary. It's all in the hopes of creating something that will add value to other people's lives. Can, can I contribute to the greater good? And I think where, where you're talking about now is maybe this isn't contributing to the greater good, and you're feeling a little bit of discontent there. And so what you're asking is, how do I deal with other people's consumerism? And I would say that you don't. And, and I think the best way to convert someone is to convey a message to them as opposed to being the the street corner preacher with the megaphone on the soapbox. I mean, how many people does he convert, Ryan? I've never seen that guy in a soapbox convert one person. Right. And and so that, right now, Ryan and I aren't trying to convert anyone to minimalism. 
Uh, we're simply sharing a recipe that's worked well for us, realizing that, that just because our recipe worked for us, it may not necessarily work for other people, but a few ingredients might. And people might tweeze out a few of those ingredients and apply it to their own lives, create their own recipe for minimalism. But we certainly don't judge other people. It's funny, Ryan, when you and I go on tours, a lot of times we'll stay with different readers and, and stuff and stay in their houses. And the first thing that they say as soon as we get to the door, what do they say? I'm not a minimalist like you guys are. Oh, yeah. Every single time. <laughs> they, they want to couch it with this, this uh, behavior. And, and our response is always, look, I, I don't judge. I identify because I've gone through this. I've gone through all of that. I've gone through the, the desire to acquire more stuff. And, and so really the only thing that you can do, Erica, here is, is identify with them and then be supportive of them. And there was something that I wanted to read from from Derek Sivers, because uh, I'm a little uh, well. I, I, there's a few red flags here, and so I'm a little worried that maybe this business doesn't align with your values as much as you you, you think it does. And so he wrote something about about quitting. And I'm not telling you to quit your business and, and go do something else, but the question is. If you can't find some, if you can't make a, a way that this does align with with the person you want to be, then perhaps either transforming your business or or, or going and doing something else might be the right answer for you. Uh, this is called "Quitting Something You Love" by Derek Sivers. Personal change needs some space to happen. To bring something new into your life, you need somewhere to put it. If your current habits are filling your day, where is the new stuff supposed to go? The English word "quit" comes from the old French meaning to free or to release. We know about quitting something that's bad for you or something you hate, but what about quitting something you love? I can tell you from experience, it leaves a lot of room for change. I used to have an awesome job. I loved it so much that I became too comfortable. So I made myself quit. That empty space made me figure out how to be a full-time musician. Then I was a full-time musician for many years, living the life of my dreams. I loved it so much that I quit that life to start a company. Then, years later, I quit that company for similar reasons. It was hard. I loved it. I was addicted to it. And that's why I had to leave. In 2010, I felt addicted to America. It was my comfort zone. I loved it too much. I couldn't imagine living anywhere else. So I made myself quit. I haven't lived there since 2010. And I probably never will live there again. People often ask if I miss any of it. Do I have any regrets? Not at all. I still love everything I've quit. But not as much as I love all this room for change. If you think this sounds horrible, congratulations. I'm thankful for people like you. I'm glad ACDC has been playing the same exact music for 43 years without quitting, but that would be hell for me. Today I'm quitting something I've loved doing part-time since 1994 and basically full-time since 2008. I'm no longer answering email questions. In the last eight years, I've answered over 192,000 emails from 78,000 people. That's enough. I still love it, so it's hard to quit, but it's time to make room for change. And so, Ryan, I, th I think what Erica needs to ask herself here, 
at least in my opinion, is, is it time for some sort of change? Now, does it mean completely walking away from the business? Well, maybe, I, I, I don't know. But it could also mean, how could you radically transform this business to educate people uh, about uh, uh, creative constraints and, and owning fewer things, but also also make a, a, a living from this business? Maybe shift it in, in a way that is more experience-based than it is product-based or consumption-based, right? And, and I think that's one path that you could take. But whatever path that you go down, realize that you're going to feel discontent if your short-term actions don't align with your long-term values. And, and right now, that discontent that you're seeing is because there's something that you're doing right now that isn't exactly how you want it to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, should she walk away? Should she not walk away? I, I don't know. I would definitely encourage her to find a way to run this business in a way that does align with her values and beliefs before just kind of throwing her hands in the air. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, we're faced with the same thing, man, when we're at an event and mm-hmm. we're, you know, we're selling books or we're giving away books and like someone comes up with four or five copies of each book right? and we're signing every single copy. Like there's, you can just taste the irony, right? Mm-hmm. Like here, you're going to walk away with 15 books and, you know, we'll always make sure to tell them like, Hey, you know, make sure you like, I hope you're giving these away as gifts. And some people are like, Oh yeah. Or some people are like, Oh no. Like I just want to have, you know, some copies uh, for down the road and maybe I'll give them as gifts as later. The, the just in case. Right. Right. And what are we going to do? I mean, I, you know, you can't look at a reader and say, give me back those books. <laughs> you're not worthy of having this many books. I mean, that, that's just kind of, uh, the, I guess the crossroads that, that we come to as well is, you know, we don't necessarily support someone's, uh, purchase of our books. Um, but in the same token, like we can't tell them what they can and can't buy. Mm. So, um, yeah, I mean, there, this is a, a little bit of a conundrum, uh, for, uh, for Erica here, but uh, but yeah, I would say try to find a way to make this business align with your values and beliefs, and and kind of go from there. Um, yeah, walking away, man. Re- like hearing that essay from Derek Sivers, I'm like, geez, I hope Erica doesn't just like hear this podcast and then put a you know out of business sign on our door. Yeah, no, uh, but I think it's it's a relevant question to ask. Because- certainly. If you say no, walking away is the wrong idea, then then you know you're walking back into it more deliberately, mm-hmm. right? And so being being willing to walk away from just about anything, I think, is a virtue. And it takes it takes a lot of guts to be able to, to be willing to walk away from it because it, it also means that you are making the best possible decision right now. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully, Erica, this decision of yours, this journey of yours, is the best decision you can make with this one life that you have. And I think it's also important that just because this is a your current journey doesn't mean that it's always going to be your your journey forever. Ryan and I wrote a book called Everything That Remains. It's a memoir about five years of our lives. And uh, at the last chapter, spoiler alert, the, the last chapter is not the last chapter. The, that book doesn't end at the end of that book. Uh, that book is still going on right now because it's a story about our lives. And so our lives continue. So once you get to the end of one journey, a new journey tends to begin. And that can involve many of the same characters, many of the same plots. But it's always a, a new journey once you finish a, a, a current journey. So, Erica, I'd love to send you a copy of that book, Everything That Remains, either the, the print version or the ebook version, or pretty soon I think we'll have the, the audio book version ready. So if you want to wait for that, we'll, we'll send that to you. 
whichever you would like, whatever you'll find the most value in. Of course, if we send you the physical copy, make sure you minimize it afterward, right? That, that's the, the thing we always tell people at events. And Ryan, I, I, I tend to refuse to personalize books and say we don't do that because I don't want people to ha- hang on to it. I don't think the value is in the artifact, in that physical copy of a book. Mm-hmm. It's the experience of reading it. You're, nothing's going to happen to you if I give you a book uh, and, and you don't read it. It doesn't do anything. There's no knowledge transfer via osmosis. It's the act of, of watching the film or, or reading the book or reading an essay or whatever it may be. That's the transformative experience. It has very little to do with the, the physical item itself. Well, we'd love to hear what you all have to say. So if you have any, any comments or, or tips, including minimalism tips about how you handle addiction or, or shopping or any of the topics we, we talked about today, you can leave us a, a voicemail at 406-219-7839. We'll air our favorite comments and tips on the next episode. And here's a tip for you. Make sure you write down your message before you call. It will help you articulate your point, obviously, and it will increase your chance of being on the show. All right, Josh, you know what time it is. It's time to move on to our hashtag Ask the Minimalists lightning round where we answer questions from social media. Let's do it. We are on Twitter and Instagram, at The Minimalists, and Facebook.com slash The Minimalists. Uh, During the lightning round, this is where Ryan and I do our best to answer each question with just a short, shareable, less than 140-character response. And we'll also put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you'd like. All right, Stuart wants to know your pithy answer to this question. Social media acts as a way to keep up with people. Is it more beneficial to get rid of social media and focus on calling people occasionally? You know, I, I think uh, my, my short answer to that is avoid, quote, keeping up. Uh, focus instead on giving and getting value. So that, that's a two-part equation, right? Every, every relationship, whether it's a social media relationship or, or a personal relationship or intimate relationship – there is an us box, and you want to be able to give something and get something from it. If you're just giving, 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 you're going to feel used. If you're just taking, 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 well, then you're a parasite, and you want to be able to change that behavior. So don't just try to keep up with social media. Find a way to give and to get. And yeah, you know what, man? Thinking about keeping up with social media, I don't think Stuart would ever get caught up. Right. I mean, it's, it's like reaching the end of the internet. Yeah. It's like if you, if you started to watch all the YouTube videos right now, you know, it, like all the videos that are out there right now would take, you know, so many thousands of years or whatever. But in that time frame, there's going to be another billion hours of YouTube videos being made. So, sure. yeah, it's impossible to keep up. Uh, my short pithy answer is this. Social media is a tool. If used properly, it can add a tremendous amount of value. Yes. All right. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll just uh, expand on that real quick is if you treat it like a tool, then it's going to help you create more than it is going to. Many, most tools don't allow you to consume, right? There are a few you know, utensils and so forth, but it, it will allow you to create a lot more. Think of it as a creative mechanism as opposed to just consumption. Kimberly writes in, why do we always want to create collections of things? My short answer to this is collecting is well-planned hoarding. Thus, we often form collections to cover up our hoard. Oh, yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, it's funny, man. 
when people come to our events. Remember the? Do you remember the guy in? I think it was San Jose where Ken Burns was. Is it was it San Jose? Uh, no, it was Sacramento. Sacramento. That's what it was. Where like Ken Burns was like there a week or two before us, and that guy came up after our event, and he's like. Well, if you're a minimalist, I'm a maximalist because I love model airplanes and I got them hanging throughout my whole house. And, you know, my grandkids come over, they love to see them and I'll, you know, tell them about what models they are. And I'm like, dude, it sounds like you're a minimalist to me, man. Uh huh. Yeah. It sounds like those airplanes bring you a lot of joy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think too often that we, 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 we collect things because we think that's what we're supposed to do, mm-hmm. and we don't get a lot of joy from from those collections. But yeah, if you have a bunch of model airplanes and it makes you content, so be it. I'm, I'm not it. one to judge. Uh, my answer is hunting and gathering. It's in our DNA. Collecting is a side effect and is becoming an antiquated form of survival in most of the modern world. So, yeah, there is definitely this thing programmed in us. We mm-hmm. have to collect. We have to in our know, hoard food. We have to hoard water. I mean, that, those were survival tactics exactly. a century ago. Yeah. Uh, but they're not very good survival tactics now. It's more of a, um, a burden now than uh-huh. it is a survival tactic in, in, in the modern world. I'm, I mean, there are certainly third world countries where, yeah, they're going to have to hold on to that spare bolt or uh-huh. <laughs> that spare part or something just in case uh, they're, they're – uh, farm machinery breaks down or whatever it may because be. Because there's no access to, to, to replacing those right, things. Right, right. But in the modern world, you know, collecting is um, it's kind of antiquated. Now, I do think we, we need to appreciate the places that do a really good job of collecting, like museums. Yeah, curation. Yeah, and uh, I'm not a good curator, so I leave, <laughs> it, I leave it to the professionals to do that. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that's important, man. All right, our next question is from Ellis. When was the last time you sat and did nothing for an extended period of time? And meditation doesn't count as nothing. This will sound a little esoteric, but um, my answer is sometimes nothing counts as something. And the reason that that I answered that that way, Ryan, is when he says meditation doesn't count as nothing, then I think that nothing counts as nothing, right? Because you're always doing something even when you're doing nothing. Mm. And, Even when you're sleeping, right, right, because you're sleeping. You you have a noun to describe, or, or a verb in this case. Uh, you have a verb to to describe um, what what's going on in the moment. I'm sleeping, or I, I was thinking about this when he answers. I go to the sauna about four times a week, and sometimes I'm alone in there, and I'll just sit there. I'll either do mindfulness meditation, or I will sit there and do nothing. But when you think about it, I'm still doing something because I'm in the sauna. And even if I wasn't in the sauna, I'd still be doing something because I was seated or I was standing. You're always doing something. So I really don't know what you mean by nothing. So my answer once again is sometimes nothing counts as something. Yeah. My short pithy answer is when I snowboard, I always take a few moments to just be on the mountain, which I guess still I'm doing something there, but, but yeah, uh, I agree with you. I don't know what he, I don't know what they mean by nothing. Um, maybe they mean like just sitting and like binge binge watching TV, um, Mm. which we talked about earlier. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, we schedule that sometimes and I'll sit down and watch some Mr. Robot with, uh, with Mariah. Yeah. I think we want to be careful of that though, right? With the, the, the entertainment that we let into our lives. Basically it's what Seth was talking about earlier in that essay. We're letting other people dictate our, our daily schedule, whether, and one of the biggest things is our inboxes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about a few episodes ago where, where, uh, the average person 
average productive person in the, cor in the corporate world checks their email, what is it, 150 times a day now. And the most uh, supposedly productive people check it 900 times a day, which is once a minute every minute for 16 hours a day. That's unbelievable to me. You're, you're letting everyone else dictate your schedule. Wow. And what I, what I say earlier, you show me your schedule, I'll show you your priorities. All right, Jennifer writes in, how do we help a loved one who plays hours of video games a day and doesn't see a problem with it? Well, I, I think quite succinctly, you can't help people who don't want help. And, and I think you, you need to realize that is you, you, if someone isn't looking for help, I mean, someone might think, how do I help Josh lose weight? Now, I weigh 160 pounds and I'm six foot two. But if they think I need help, what are they going to do to get me to lose weight? Well, I don't, A, I don't need to lose any weight because I don't think I have any kind of problem there. And you know what? What we're doing in this case is is judging someone else's behavior. And while you may not find it productive, that person may find immense benefit and joy from from the behavior they're doing. So I think the best thing you can do here is to find a way to to be supportive. Yeah. Habits are hard to break. Others' habits are even harder to break. And what I mean by that, Josh, is I don't try and change other people's habits. Have you ever tried to change someone else's habits? Yeah, and I failed miserably. Yeah, I mean, you've been trying to get me to stop biting my nails for you know twenty <laughs> years now. <laughs> and somehow, mm -hmm. I still uh, will bite my nails. But but yes, um, I'm, don't I'm, try. I'm still winning the, the war on that one. Yeah, you. Uh, of course, you are, Josh. <laughs> I just lose all the battles. That's right. No, you, you, no, seriously though. I mean, trying to change someone else's habits—it's like someone who smokes cigarettes yeah. and trying to like get them to stop smoking. Um, you're not going to get very far by just telling someone they're wrong and hiding their cigarettes and buying them nicotine batches. None of that is going to help them if they don't want to be helped. Yeah, I agree with that. And um, uh, although I'll say, like in a case like that with smoking, like it's if you're experiencing secondhand smoke, then you need to get away from that person if, that, if, it's, if that's something that, is, that you're worried about. So you don't, have to, you don't have to immerse yourself in their bad behavior. If it negatively affects you, you can walk away from that. Amen. All right, Josh, our last question is from Janine. How can I start using social media minimally? All right, let's see here. My answer is use social media intentionally. Unfollow and unfriend the people who aren't adding value. Work hard to create value yourself. On Twitter recently, Ryan, I, I tweeted a uh, drinking game idea. Every time we say add value on the podcast, don't take a drink. Instead, get rid of something. And so... <laughs> what did the one guy say? He was like, I only listen to your podcast when I drive. I'd be littering all, all over the road if I did that. <laughs> it's better than being drunk and driving. A Amen. <laughs> and uh, Colin, Colin, our good friend Colin Wright over at Exile Lifestyle, um, he, he, said, um, he said, I'm going to drink one of my items every time you say add value. And he said he was holding his, his guitar above his blender. Uh, and so... Uh, yeah, uh, every time we say add value, if you want to get rid of something, you'll, you will soon have an empty house, I'm, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's important. You, you want to work hard to create value yourself. So, so if you're unfriending, unfollowing people who aren't adding value, but then 
if you're not adding value, you're part of the problem, right? So, so maybe use this, this medium as a mechanism to create, to, to serve the greater good as well. Janine, if you want a break from social media, turn it off. The power button is right there. That's a powerful power button, man. Yeah, I love that um, little excerpt uh, from our documentary where Patrick Roan, he was like, just turn it off. Yes. If you're tired of the noise, just turn it off. Mm-hmm. And it's the truth. I mean, that's why Josh and I do those little stoical experiments. We will turn the noise off for a little bit to see what happens. You can do the same thing, Janine. All right, well, let's move on to our added value portion of the show. This is where we each recommend something that has added value to our lives recently. And as normal, I've got a, a bunch of, of things here this week, Ryan. Um, one thing to check out is if you want a different approach to this sort of addiction, especially when it comes to social media in particular, is our friend Cal Newport, who is a professor at uh, Georgetown University. He did a TEDx talk called very simply quit social media and he presents his case for the reasons that we should try to quit social media in order to to be more productive create more meaningful deep work in fact he wrote a book called deep work that argues some of this but the TEDx talk is good while I don't agree with him because I do personally get value from it and so I want to be able to live in a world where I I can get value from those things, but I also subscribe to many of his arguments. I'm not on every social media platform, right? I'm not on Snapchat or Yik Yak or whatever these, these kids are, are, are on these days. And, and I have constantly adjusted the way I use social media. And I use it far less than I used to because I needed to figure out how do I, how do I consume this responsibly so that I'm getting something from it as opposed to passing my, pacifying my, uh, myself with it. And so check out his TEDx talk. We'll put it in the, in the show notes. By the way, if you want to get our show notes in your email inbox every time we put out a new show, just go to theminimalists.com and type in your email there at the top to where, where it says uh, email newsletter. Of course, we'll never send you spam or advertisements or anything like that because that stuff's gross, and we appreciate your time and your attention. Uh, the other thing I want to recommend is something called Brain.fm. It's an app I've been using on my phone. It, it is, uh, it, there's some science behind, it's like this music that you put into your headphones. Uh, there's a bunch of different settings. You hit a button on it, and it'll give you focus music. And so anytime I'm sitting down to work, uh, it'll give me this, this really great focus music. Or if I want to meditate, there's some meditation music. And uh, there's sleep as well. I mean, you do the nap cycle on there and you put an eye mask on, it will knock you out in five minutes. I mean, so it's not just calming, you know, Zen music, which is nice. There, there is, there's some science behind, I think it might be called binaural beats. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know the science behind I love behind that it. band. <laughs> um, and I... Uh, uh, I found that um, uh, it helps me take a, a quick nap uh, in the middle of the day if I want to do that. You can, there's also a sleep cycle. Uh, there is a relax cycle as well. So uh, brain.fm is, is the, the website, and it's the app, and I think you'll enjoy it. And also, at the very end of this episode, uh, there's a great public speaker. His name is Josh Ship. He talks to a lot of teens and also to parents about, about kids, 
and uh, he had this this viral video on Facebook recently about parenting, and I just did an episode about parenting, and so he sent me this uh, this video that he did, and it was a quick 90-second video, and he gave us permission to use it. So at the end of this episode, when we do the, the listener comments and tips, we'll paste it in there because I, I certainly found some value from his, his words on parenting. Awesome. Ryan, Ryan, what do you got? Uh, downloaded Purity, Jonathan Franzen's uh Newest novel. Newest novel from 2015. Right. <laughs> so now it's a couple of years old. But well, No, it was great that he put one out that soon. I mean, usually he's like nine years between books. When did he do Freedom? Uh, 2010. Oh, okay. So yeah, I, I about thought five Fre- years. I, I thought Freedom was his book before Purity. It was. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it was only five years was my point. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. I didn't realize he waited that long. I was going to ask you, like, it's been two years. Is there any other – is he going to come up with a book this year? Oh, no. So, not like – not like a – Artists and albums, huh? No, I mean, he's uh, so he did the corrections in 2001. It's a great book. Freedom is one of my favorite books of all time. Yeah, I think that's our, I have not read that one yet. It's our great Gatsby. It is uh, the great Gatsby of our generation. He he did a great job with that. But I agree with you. Purity is, is a great book. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, yeah, if you like, uh, you know, some some cool twist and turny fiction novel type stuff, yeah. uh, Purity is a great, great read. It's beautifully written, too, man. He's such He's such a gorgeous writer for sure. All right, well, let's move on to right here, right now. Uh, this is where Ryan and I talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. All right, let's take a look here. What do we got, Ryan? What, what's going on in our lives? Well, uh, we have a simple year. That's still going on. It's about a week or so left if you want to sign up for that. It's a, a, a guided simplicity course, uh, 12 months of of guided simplicity. So a few details on that. Uh, a few years ago, Ryan and I contributed to this this 12-month program called A Simple Year, and it is hosted by our friend Courtney Carver. If you saw a documentary, you saw her in there. She's the, the founder of the Minimalist Wardrobe Challenge Project 333, and it was just a really awesome course we, when we did it a few years ago. And so now for 2017, after a few years' hiatus, uh, we decided to once again participate in A Simple Year, and, and we're participating alongside a, a, an entire stable of other simplicity experts a bunch of people who specialize in areas like decluttering and travel and food and money and relationships and work and all these different minimalist approaches to these topics. And so we'd love to to see you there if you're interested in participating. You can find the uh, course syllabus and read all the answers to the frequently asked questions and become a simple year member over at our website. It's theminimalists.com slash 12. That's the number 12 all spelled out, T-W-E. L-V-E, theminimalists.com slash 12. Now, just a, a quick caveat here. Ryan and I will be the first to tell you that you do not need a special course or a book or a blog to simplify your life. But if you do feel like you could use a little help or maybe a lot of help clearing the excess stuff from your life, then we hope you find value in these 12 months of guided simplicity. Uh, let me see what else. Oh, uh, a lot of you've been asking about this because I, I don't have Netflix. What am I supposed to do to get your documentary? I don't want to buy it. Can I rent it? Can I rent it? And and we heard you loud and clear. Yes, you can now rent our documentary on iTunes and Amazon and I think Google Play as well, Sean. It's available there for rental. So you can check it out there. What so, about a Blockbuster? A Blockbuster video? There, yes. There are still 15 of them left. <laughs> 
Um, did you know that there there are fifteen? I I, told, I thought they were completely shut down. I did not realize there <laughs> the were funny thing is left. we've talked about this on a past podcast, but you weren't here. I was doing the parenting podcast. <laughs> I was just talking to Sean. <laughs> we don't ever give a microphone to Sean because he'll he'll outshine us every time. Yeah, and and so yeah, there's fifteen of them. They're they're all in Alaska and Texas, and I think there might be two in Oregon still. Wow, there's that one like um in Missoula here, Crazy Mike's video. Uh huh. It's the last video rental place in Missoula. Is it really? It is the only one left yeah, i try to like go there and support them as much as i can because i think they're hanging on i think it, yeah I, I think it's uh i think it's kind of you know nostalgic to go in there and like pick out movies but that is funny though like it is a novelty experience it really is and i there are parts where you certainly miss that that experience but you value the convenience over top of it it was funny I, the reason only reason i knew there were still some blockbusters left is when I get on YouTube and do some of my binges, I watch. I, I'm obsessed with those abandoned shopping malls and uh, the abandoned factories. And in Canada, they have abandoned Targets now. Targets because Target they went pulled out. out. Yeah, they were only there for like a year or two. Unbelievable. Yeah. And, and they pulled out. A, and they have like. But then I they had this video of abandoned blockbusters. I'm like, this is gonna be great. And this guy walked in and was like, oh my god, the door's unlocked. And look, all the videos are still on the shelves. And he goes through this whole video, and at the end of it, you find out he's just a Blockbuster employee. And he still works <laughs> at the store. <laughs> and so, no, you can't rent our documentary at Blockbuster, I don't think, um, or even your local store. Well, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they could order it. But your local library can, can order it for you, Certainly. most local libraries. So we've had a lot of people who have checked it out from there or get on the waiting list or, or whatever it may be. Uh, also, I mentioned earlier, if you're if you're on our email list, uh, check your your spam folder because if you signed up for our email list, sometimes it'll throw it in spam, or worse, it'll throw it in the promotions tab. This is not a promotion, but uh, Google sometimes thinks that uh, you know, whatever a newsletter is is a promotion. So you can just move it into your inbox, and that will make sure you get our emails regularly because we also put out a quarterly email newsletter with a bunch of happenings, and of course, all your all of our essays and. And, and the free goodness of all the stuff that we send out, you'll be able to get into your inbox, including some future tour stops. We hope to do some tour stops throughout 2017. And the first way uh, that you'll be able to know about that is if you're on our email list. Um, speaking of, of tour stops or speaking gigs, uh, we have gotten a bunch of requests over the last couple of weeks uh, for, for speaking gigs. So now is probably the best time to reach out to us. If you want the minimalist to come speak to your group, or your organization, or your nonprofit, or your university, or, or, or whatever, you can just go to theminimalist.com slash speaking, because we're trying to fill up our calendar with just a few of those, maybe one a month, uh, which is up from one a quarter of what we were doing last year. And so if you want us to come speak to your organization, send us the details, get in touch, we'd be, uh, we'd be happy to consider it. We charge only $1 million. <laughs> Each. <laughs> yes. Think about it, Josh. If we can get one person to say yes. <laughs> then we'll have a million dollars. Think how many schools we can build. Actually, we could. I mean, that, that's, that's the really cool thing is people you know, often very snarkily ask, like, now that you, your documentaries were taken off, what are you going to do with all that money or whatever? Well, the First funny- off, we don't get big bags of money for no. the documentary. <laughs> no, get, a billion people could watch that documentary on Netflix. I'm not going to make any more money from that. No. It's on Netflix now, and I'm grateful that more people get to see it. But uh, the truth is that uh, money in the last few years has enabled us to contribute a lot more in, in meaningful ways, whether it's, it's building 
schools or, or funding schools in some cases or building wells or doing really cool things with orphanages and, and food banks. It's given us the opportunity to, to fund uh, mosquito nets for malaria. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of things that we couldn't have done before without that money. And so I'd rather, I'd rather use it in an intentional way like that mm-hmm. than you know, renting a Ferrari for the week or something. Dude, you think we could? <laughs> no. No. They're all uh, out, Ryan. I'm uh, sorry to tell you. Uh, all I checked. Right. We got anything else? Anything else right here right now? No, man. All I have here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Including one from Josh Ship about parenting. Hey, guys. This is Casey. I'm a military minimalist. I actually play the minimalist game every single month with my father. And we actually played it after we have both been minimalized already, but it seems like, I'm sure you guys know, you can still kind of get rid of things and stuff still comes into your life, even sometimes you don't really know it or think about it. So I just want to throw that idea out there, if y'all want to mention it or not. You know, you can, the minimalist game isn't necessarily something you just play one time, then you're done with it. You can actually play it every single month, and it's a good way to kind of have fun with keeping up, uh, with keeping things out of your home that are, of course, like you always say, you know, unnecessary or that don't do not add value to your life. Hello, uh, this is Christina from Reno, Nevada. I thought it was very interesting to hear you both talk about prepping. Uh, my two favorite podcasts happen to be yours and Jack Spierko's survival podcast. Uh, he discusses modern survivalism and preparing for when things get tough or even if they don't, and those are his words. Minimalism and preparing are a delicate balance, but both are necessary to live a better, safer life. Uh, For example, last fall we had a death in the family, and then everyone I lived with got sick. So everything went out the window, including buying food. So I was really glad that we had long-term food stored that we could eat until we got back on our feet. Um, Also being a little bit more prepared We'll also let you help others if they need a leg up as well. Imagine you're on a roller coaster. You know, you sit down in the seat, first thing that happens, there's some guy that walks around and sort of pushes down that lap safety bar, secures the lap safety bar. Now, if you're like me, what's the very first thing you do? You grab that bar, you push it, you prod it, you wiggle it, you test it. Now, think about it. I mean, do you push and prod and test and wiggle that bar hoping that it will give, hoping that it will fail, leading to your inevitable death as you splat on the pavement? Of course not. You push it and you prod it and you test it, hoping, confirming it will hold. Listen to me. That teen in your life is doing the exact same thing. They are pushing you and prodding you and testing you, hoping, confirming, you will hold. I mean, at a time in their life when so many things are uncertain, they need to know that you are certain. At a time in their life when so many things are unstable, they need to know that you are stable. And at a time in their life when so many things are erratic, they need to know that you are consistent. So good news, if the teen in your life pushes you, doesn't mean you're a bad person or an imbecile or doing it all wrong or messing things up or saying the wrong things. It simply means you're dealing with a teenager. 
All right, y'all, that's it for this episode. If you have a question for The Minimalist, give us a call, 406-219-7839. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. See you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have You gotta reach for And you gotta grab Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it So tear your eyes